When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the best way to fall asleep with Nightfalls, you can now become a premium supporter. Enjoy the entire back catalogue of Nightfalls classics, all with a rich, immersive and totally ad-free experience. If you love falling asleep to Nightfalls, Nightfalls Premium will elevate your sleep while helping to support myself and the team. We love creating Nightfalls, but without supporters, it wouldn't be possible. Join Nightfalls Premium today in just two tabs on both Apple Podcasts or via the Supercast link found in the show notes for all other podcast players. Your sleep will thank you for it, and so will I. If you've been feeling overwhelmed with anxiety lately, try listening to a guided meditation on the Meditation for Anxiety podcast. Meditation is a proven natural way to help you calm down and dissolve stress so you can feel lighter and happier. So subscribe for free today to the Meditation for Anxiety podcast by searching for Meditation for Anxiety on your favorite podcast player. Hi, I'm Jeffrey, and welcome back to Nightfalls. Come, settle in for tonight's calming meditation and soothing bedtime story. As always, don't worry if you fall asleep before the end. You can drift off whenever you're ready. Come. Warm your hands beside the campfire tonight as we join a retired Sherlock Holmes in his heartwarming endeavour to find the lost love of a friendly postman whose feelings for one Daphne Dayton have left the town's post just as jumbled up as his own thoughts. Having waited with bated breath for weeks on end, wondering if Devani might return to nightfalls, I find myself rather rooting for this lovesick postman and the wonderful florist for whom he has fallen. Before this evening's adventure begins, let's take a moment to wind down, come to a comfortable position, and allow yourself a moment to simply be. Release your abdomen, soften the muscles of your face, let your jaw hang loose as your tongue falls away from the roof of your mouth and you welcome a deep breath in. Hold that breath for a moment and release it. Breathe in through your nose. Hold for a moment 
savoring the gentle stretch of your lungs. And exhale, allowing it to filter out over your bottom lip. This is your time. In this moment, there is nothing and no one more important than you and your relaxation. As you lie there breathing, feel your peace of mind being restored. Inhaling, feel the connection between your breath and being strengthening. And exhale. Breathing in, allow your mind and body to come back into balance as you sink a little deeper into the soft cushions beneath you. And exhale. Breathing in. Hold that breath for three, two, one, and breathe out. Inhaling once more. Hold for four, three, two, one, and exhale, sighing out in relief. Breathing in and holding for five, four, three, two, one, and breathe out. Lean into the natural lengthening of your breath as your body winds down from the day. Allow the need for sleep to settle into your bones and cloud the corners of your mind. Drawing a final breath in, vow to dedicate this time to yourself. As you exhale, release the responsibilities that bind you during the daylight hours and allow yourself to settle into a state of deep, uninterrupted relaxation. Now, if you're feeling ready, this evening's story can begin. It's the third time this week, Mrs. Pemberton announced as she entered the breakfast room of Inglewood View Hotel. The third time, Mr. Holmes. What do you think about that? Sherlock Holmes didn't know what to think because, for the moment at least, he had no idea what his landlady was referring to. He took delivery of his scrambled eggs on toast and waited for her further comments on what was vexing her. Mrs. Pemberton took a brown envelope from her apron pocket and with somewhat of a flourish, waved it in the air. Do I look like Mayor Gillespie, Mr. Holmes? No, I don't. And did I look like Ethel Jones yesterday? Or Matilda Whittington the day before? Sherlock shook his head, knowing it was the only response Mrs. Pemberton required. He began to eat his breakfast, whilst maintaining an expression of interest on his face. Mrs. Pemberton told him how the postman had given her the wrong letters three days in a row. And not only her, the neighbours had received the wrong mail also. She told Sherlock it had never happened before, 
and the postman, a young man called Leonard Roberts, was normally efficient in his role. Something was troubling the man, she surmised. She was expecting a postcard from her younger sister, Lizzie, whom, as Mr. Holmes knew, was on holiday in the highlands of Scotland. But Mrs. Pemberton did not want Lizzie's postcard going astray. That would not do at all. Mrs. Pemberton came to a stop and looked at Sherlock with one eyebrow raised. The silence which followed signified she wanted a verbal response to her predicament. It was a convenient stop for Sherlock because he'd finished eating his breakfast and was able to now converse with her. Where is the postman now? he asked. Would you like me to have a word with him on your behalf? Perhaps find out what's troubling him? Mrs. Pemberton waved her hand and said she'd already had a word with Leonard the previous day. He had apologised and promised not to mix the post up again. She put the mayor's letter in front of Sherlock and said, But he's mixed it up again this morning. When I spoke to him yesterday, he wouldn't tell me what was bothering him. You have a certain way of talking to people which gets the truth out of them, Mr. Holmes. I know you're officially retired and I don't want to put you to any trouble. But could you talk to him, please? Find out what the problem is. I'm much obliged. And you can give him this letter to make sure it gets to the mayor. Sherlock advised he was about to visit the library and if he passed the postman on the way, he would have a discreet word with him. Mrs. Pemberton moved over to the window, pulled the neck curtain to one side and said, You will pass Leonard on the way. He's been standing under that lamppost for ten minutes now, staring out to sea. It doesn't look like he's going to move any time soon. You've got the ideal opportunity to talk to him now, Mr. Holmes if it's not too much of a bother. It was no bother at all to Sherlock, and within minutes of leaving the breakfast table, he was gently tapping the unmoving postman on the shoulder. Leonard came out of his trance and looked at Sherlock in confusion. The retired detective introduced himself and explained the mix-up in postal deliveries. He gave Leonard the mayor's letter. The postman's cheeks reddened a little, and sincere apologies fell from his lips. Sherlock said it was quite understandable that a person should get distracted from their job when something was weighing heavily on their mind. The only response Sherlock received was a soft sigh of resignation from Leonard before the young man turned his face back to the sea. There was something about the postman's countenance which looked familiar to Sherlock. Something he'd seen in many of his clients. If he spent a bit more time with Leonard, he could confirm his suspicions about what was vexing the man. Sherlock asked if Leonard had many letters left to deliver. 
The young man said he had ten more streets on his route. Or was it twelve? Seeing as the postman's mind was not at all in his job, Sherlock offered to walk with him on the pretense he was fairly new to the town and was still getting used to the area. And would Leonard mind if Sherlock accompanied him through the streets? Also, it gave the detective time to delve further into Leonard's problem. Leonard gave a half-shrug, which Sherlock decided to take as an affirmative answer. They set off at a steady pace. Along the way, Sherlock subtly made sure Leonard double-checked names on envelopes to ensure the right letters were being posted through the correct letterboxes. By the time the last letter was delivered, Sherlock knew the names of a good number of residents in Inglewood Bay. Out of habit, his detective mind mentally filed the information away in case he needed it in the future. Sherlock's suspicions about Leonard's troubles were confirmed along the route. It had been a simple matter of noticing the postman's behaviour and then putting the facts together. The first clue came when Leonard's steps had slowed upon seeing a courting couple who were holding hands and gazing into each other's eyes, joyfully oblivious to the rest of the world. When Leonard noticed them, his look turned wistful, but there was a tinge of regret there too. Another giveaway was when a woman with brown shoulder-length hair walked towards them. Leonard had looked at her a little longer than was considered polite before looking away with remorse in his eyes. Sherlock's last piece of evidence appeared when they went past beautiful blossoms on the corner of Anchor Avenue. Leonard had lingered outside the florist and looked through the window. His shoulders dropped a little as whatever or whomever he was searching for was nowhere to be found inside. Since Sherlock had all the evidence he needed, he decided to discuss the matter with Leonard in the hope of helping the young man. He offered to buy the postman a cup of tea from one of the kiosks on the seafront. Once their drinks had been bought and the men were settled on a bench on the promenade, Sherlock said, Forgive my forwardness, but I've noticed you're having problems of a romantic nature. How do you know? Leonard asked. The wistful way you look at couples. The young woman who walked towards us holding a bunch of roses I assume she bears a resemblance to the woman who's captured your heart and your searching look into the florist on the corner of Anchor Avenue. I presume the woman in question visited there often, or she worked there perchance. If the latter, she's not there today. Am I correct? For the first time since they'd met, Leonard smiled. It was only a small smile, but a smile nonetheless. 
Leonard proceeded to tell Sherlock about Daphne Dainton. They'd met when he'd called into the florists one day to buy flowers for his mother on the occasion of her birthday. A change came over Leonard's face as he talked about Daphne and their first meeting. He told Sherlock how her brown hair framed her beautiful face like a halo, how her laugh warmed his heart like the welcome heat of the sun on the first day of spring, how time stood still as he got lost in her hazel eyes. He told Sherlock he'd never believed in love at first sight before, but his beliefs were turned upside down that day. Leonard's voice trailed away mid-sentence, and he gazed out to sea, lost in the memories of Daphne Dainton. Sherlock gently asked if Daphne felt the same way about Leonard. A small frown appeared on Leonard's brow, and he admitted he wasn't sure. On the day he'd met Daphne, they had easily and quickly fallen into conversation with each other and had talked about all manner of things. It was like they'd known each other all their lives. Leonard had returned to the florists regularly and Daphne always seemed delighted to see him. Within a few weeks of their first meeting, Leonard decided to ask her out. Daphne had mentioned a dance the previous week and how she would love to go but didn't have a partner. To Leonard, it seemed the ideal occasion for a date. Alas, as he entered the florist with the intent of inviting Daphne out, his courage failed him and he asked for a bunch of daisies instead. The day of the dance came and went. But then Daphne told him about another dance, one which would take place on the pier. Again, he attempted to invite her out, and, regrettably, once again his courage fled, and they were no closer to going on a date. He continued going to the florists, and they continued talking. During their conversations, Daphne mentioned how much she loved going for picnics on the beach and walks through the nearby parks and strolls along the promenade. Although they sounded like ideal first dates, Leonard's courage failed him every time he attempted to ask Daphne out. Leonard looked at his cup of tea and said he wasn't even sure Daphne liked him anyway. Sherlock told him courage can be found if you dig hard enough. And, he added, it sounds very much like Daphne has fond feelings for Leonard, because why would she suggest so many perfect opportunities for a date if she didn't want him to ask her out? Leonard shook his head. It's too late, Mr. Holmes. She's gone. 
She doesn't work at the florist shop anymore. She moved out of her house three days ago. No one knows where she's gone. I've asked her friends and neighbours, but to no avail. I can't stop thinking about her. But she's lost to me forever now. Sherlock said firmly, Nonsense, Leonard. This is just a problem which can be solved. Finding people is my speciality. With your permission, I will look for Miss Dainton. When I find her, which I will, I'll speak to her first and see if she wants to be found. And again, with your permission, I will discover her feelings for you. Although, I suspect I already know the answer to that. Leonard's face lit up like a beacon. He readily gave his permission and thanked Sherlock profusely. He offered to pay for his services, but Sherlock said solving the mystery would be enough of a reward. Sherlock took some more details from Leonard about Daphne and then began his investigation. First, he called into the florists and spoke to the owner who confirmed Miss Dainton loved her job and had a passion for flowers. But her heart had seemed elsewhere recently, and she'd handed in her notice, quite unexpectedly. The owner missed her, and said she would welcome Miss Dainton back with open arms if she did return. Sherlock called upon the deserted home of Miss Dainton next, and spoke to the neighbours and found one was particularly chatty. She said you couldn't wish for a friendlier neighbour. Then she heaved a heavy sigh and said, it was unrequited love. That's why she left in such a hurry. Fallen hard for someone she had, but it was not to be. So she fled rather than stay here, where she'd have to see the young man every day. Sherlock knew the love was not unrequited, but he didn't get into a discussion about it because he was in the middle of an investigation and had other people to talk to. By the time a few hours had elapsed, he had discovered Miss Dainton had a married sister who ran a bed and breakfast in Whitby. The sisters were close, and it seemed the likeliest place Daphne would go the sister's married name was not known, and neither was the name and precise location of the bed and breakfast. But those were minor details, which didn't bother Sherlock one jot. He booked an overnight train to Whitby, and then returned to Inglewood View Hotel to collect his overnight bag. He was always ready to go, just in case. He told Mrs. Pemberton he'd be away for a day or so, she gave him the name of a landlady she knew in Whitby and offered to telephone her and book him a room. She said it was a little-known fact that landladies around the United Kingdom knew of each other or knew someone who knew someone else. And as such, a comfortable room could always be secured at short notice. It was like an invisible network, Mrs. Pemberton said. Invisible, but a very reliable one. The journey north to Whitby was a pleasant one, and when Sherlock disembarked from the train, he heard the sound of seagulls calling out to each other. 
he'd got accustomed to living in a coastal town, and the sound coming from the birds was comforting. And so was being in the middle of an investigation. Even if he wasn't sure he was in the right town. His first port of call was the large, mid-terraced house where Mrs. Pemberton's landlady friend ran her business. A Georgian house with high ceilings and large windows. It was perfect for Sherlock. Remembering Mrs. Pemberton's words about a network between landladies, he spoke to the woman who ran the boarding house, who gave him the name of someone who might know something about Daphne. He went to his room and quickly placed his bag down. There was no time to shilly-shally, for he had many things to do. He left the boarding house and took to the streets to act upon the information just given him. And thus, Sherlock headed from one landlady to another. He soon discovered the wonderful women contained a wealth of information between them, and they had an impressive knack for finding out who was new to town, where they had come from, and what could be the possible reason for their visit. And so it went that Sherlock was directed from one helpful landlady to another, each one adding more information to his quest to find Daphne Dainton. Like a jigsaw puzzle, each piece of information slotted into place until a complete picture was formed. Precisely two hours and 34 minutes after first arriving in Whitby, Sherlock was standing on the doorstep of the bed and breakfast run by Daphne's sister, Susanna. Susanna was an agreeable person who immediately offered him a cup of tea and a slice of homemade fruit loaf. It was an offer Sherlock couldn't and didn't refuse. As they sat at the bay window in the lounge, Sherlock asked about Daphne and if she'd given a reason for her impromptu visit. With a knowing twinkle in her eyes, Susanna answered, Love. It's always love, isn't it, Mr. Holmes, one way or another. She won't talk about it, though. She keeps going for long walks, as if each step will make her forget the man who's in her heart. Do you know where she is now? Sherlock asked. Susanna didn't, and said her sister could be anywhere in Whitby. She told Sherlock Daphne was wearing a light beige tweed jacket with a velvet trim, if that was of any use. Sherlock said it was, thanked her for her time and cake, and then left the building. He watched the pedestrians for a minute or two on the streets and was somewhat dismayed to see many light beige tweed jackets trimmed in velvet. He reasoned he wouldn't find Daphne by standing still on the pavement. So he set off walking through the winding streets of the delightful town which was once home to the famous explorer Captain Cook. 
Sherlock walked around the harbour and scanned the people strolling along it. All too late, he realised he should have asked Susanna for a photograph of her sister. Too late now. He would rely on his instincts instead. He headed to the sandy beach and spent a few minutes basking in a ray of warm autumn sun whilst simultaneously looking out for Miss Dainton. After the beach, he climbed the 199 gently curving stone steps which led to Whitby Abbey, which stood proudly on the cliff. And it was there that he found Daphne. It wasn't her brown shoulder-length hair gently billowing in the breeze which gave her away, nor was it the light beige tweed jacket trimmed with velvet which was folded across her knee. It was the look on her face as she gazed out at the North Sea. It was the same look which had been upon Leonard's face the previous day as he too gazed out at the sea. Not wanting to startle her, Sherlock let out a polite cough as he approached Daphne. She looked his way and broke into a smile. She said she knew who he was and where he'd come from. She asked how he was enjoying living in Inglewood Bay, to which he replied he liked it very much. She inquired what had brought him to Whitby. You was his simple answer. He proceeded to give her the full details about his talk with Leonard and how the postman wasn't sure about her feelings for him. The latter statement brought a wry smile to Daphne's face. She said she'd been dropping hints to Leonard about her feelings since they'd first met and her hints had been as heavy as anvils. He doesn't share my feelings, Daphne said. I waited and waited for him to ask me on a date, but it never happened. I was tempted to ask him, but I couldn't find the nerve to do so. And what if he had said no, which I was convinced he would do? I also convinced myself he didn't care for me, so I left town. I'm trying to get over my broken heart. I'm not doing a good job. Sherlock said it was a case of misunderstandings and unspoken feelings which had caused the current situation and it could be easily rectified. Daphne wasn't sure. So Sherlock asked for 24 hours in which to contact Leonard and allow him time to travel to Whitby and state his intentions towards her. He asked her to return to this very spot the next day. Daphne agreed to do so. Sherlock bade her goodbye and headed straight for the telegram office where he sent a message to Leonard hundreds of miles away. Then he waited and hoped. Hoped 
that Leonard would find the courage to travel to Whitby and talk to Daphne and to admit his true feelings to her. 24 hours later, Sherlock watched from afar as Daphne Dainton returned to the bench of the previous day and sat down. Her eyes were focused resolutely on the sea. It wasn't long before a shy young man approached her, a bunch of pink roses in his hands. Leonard smiled at Daphne, and Daphne smiled back at him. Sherlock watched the couple for a little while to ensure everything was settled between them. It was. The couple were soon in deep conversation and were sitting close to each other. That evening, as Sherlock strolled along the promenade, he saw a familiar couple dancing a gentle waltz at the end of Whitby Pier. The pier stretched out across the sea, and the couple were silhouetted above the waves, far from anybody else, in the stillness of the night. The moon was large and glowing, and the gentle waves shone with its pale beams. The couple danced gently back and forth. Sherlock smiled. He saw that Leonard and Daphne only had eyes for each other, joyfully oblivious to the rest of the world. Another case settled for the great detective, a detective who had retired, for now anyway.